hey, how we doing? You guys ready to roll? Ready to get going? We got a lot to do this morning, so uh, let's pray and get into it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you that we have an opportunity to learn uh, from your word. Uh, God, we uh, give you the glory, honor, and praise for this beautiful morning that we have, that I got to roll down my windows and enjoy that morning breeze. God, we thank you for that, that change in the weather that we get in Arizona, a reminder of your grace and your love. And Lord, I just pray that this morning that your uh, word would speak to the hearts of us, that God, that, that we would get a bigger picture of who you are and what you're about as a result of studying your word. God, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise for everything you are and everything you do. Amen. Hey, uh, we are starting a brand new series called Dilemma. And the idea behind Dilemma is, is this, that when people meet Jesus, they, a dilemma occurs. They have a choice to either go right or to go left, to follow Jesus or to not follow Jesus. There is no neutral ground when that dilemma occurs. There's no neutral ground. You have to make a decision which way to go. And uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through the scriptures, and we're going to be talking about people that Jesus encountered and the dilemma that occurred thereafter. Uh, Like the woman at the well, Jesus comes up to her and says, hey, uh, noticed uh, that you like to sleep with guys. Uh, Not a good deal. Have you thought about getting filled up by me instead of by men? You know, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and goes, I'm awesome. I'm the man. I obey all the commandments. I'm a good dude, and I want to go to heaven. And Jesus goes, yeah, but I think you love your money. I think you love your money, maybe even more than you love me. And I want you to go to heaven, so just give up all your money. uh, Give it to the poor and, and follow me. And there's this dilemma there. Like, what do I do? Judas Iscariot. Followed Jesus for three and a half years, always struggling with, is this really the Messiah? Because this is not the Messiah I expected. I expected a warrior and and a conqueror, and this guy's like healing people. So the dilemma Judas finds himself is, am I going to follow this Jesus? And if I follow this Jesus, it's probably going to kill me. Or do I betray him? Right? Jesus is, he's intrusive. He gets in there. He gets in your business. He to asks you to do things you don't want to do. He's, he's kind of like your mother-in-law, except like righteous and holy. Like, you know, your mother-in-law is always kind of looking over your shoulder and asking you questions, and you're like, could you please, right? And, and that's kind of Jesus. He gets in your business. He gets in areas that you don't really want him to get into, and he causes dilemmas. And we resonate that with that because when we meet Jesus, when Jesus asks us to do things, we come to a moment of dilemma. And what do we do? Uh, when Patty and I were first uh, married, uh, came to one of these moments. And about a year into our marriage, I decided to, to pick up a pretty significant drinking problem uh, and, and not tell her about it. Um, so I went a whole year, her assuming that I was just going out and hanging with the guys, having a cup of coffee, when in reality I was going out and, and drinking with my buddies. And... Um, I started getting connected with God's word, started to get really convicted about some stuff. I really started to meet Jesus again, and I mean that. I really met Jesus again, and I got super convicted about what I was doing in my life. And the dilemma for me was, okay, I can go home and just change my life. Like, and, and I don't need to tell her what I've been doing for the last year. 
I just need to go home and be different. Love her and, and stop lying to her, right? Sounds like a good plan. But the thing in my heart and the thing I was convicted about was that I needed to go home and tell her everything. So I stand there. You can't stay neutral. So I went home and I repented to my wife. And I said, babe, for the last year, I've been lying to you. I've been drinking. I picked up a pretty good drinking habit. And I'm sorry. And would you have mercy on me? Would you stay with me? And she has. 11 years, it'll be in December. She stayed with me through that thing. And, um, but that's that moment of dilemma where we come. Because we all have these closets, these things that we've been hiding, that we don't want anybody to intrude on. Right? We, we don't want anybody to know. In, in the moment that I just said that, you guys thought of something in your head. A place in your life that, that you don't want anybody to know about. It's your own little closet. And can I just tell you, Jesus wants to get in the closet. And he wants to rearrange it. And he wants to do it for the glory of God. Because what God wants more than anything else, what Jesus wants more than any else, is your surrender. Is you coming to him and saying, I give it all to you. I give you the good stuff. I give you the bad stuff. I give it all to you. So the dilemma moments are in our lives, but it's also in the lives of people that Jesus met throughout his ministry. And uh, let's take a look at one of those right now. Uh, Luke 23 is where we're going to be heading this morning. Uh, this is Luke's perspective on Jesus's life. Uh, this is Luke's perspective on Jesus's crucifixion. And so we're going to dig in. I would encourage you, as we read this, this is probably a passage you guys have heard a bunch, I would encourage you to listen and find some things in there that, that you struggle with a little bit. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of that stuff this morning. But um, yeah, just listen to those words. Let it sink in. Uh, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him, so Jesus is on Golgotha. He's in the middle. He's got two criminals on his side. Uh, it says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you are dying, we deserve to die for our evil deeds. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, then he said Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, I want to go to heaven. God, let me go to heaven. Anything about that passage drive you nuts? Anything about that passage that doesn't seem to fit right? Doesn't make sense? Doesn't fit in your box? Because here you have a criminal. You have somebody that has lived his entire life for himself. He's, he's been shady magoo all through his whole life, right? He's been stealing from people. He's been doing all these terrible things. He's hanging on the cross, dying for those things. And he looks to Jesus and is like, hey, hook me up. I want to go to heaven now. Okay, I'm done being bad. I, I want to do the right thing. So, right? Does that bother you? That doesn't fit in my box. That doesn't make sense to me. This sinner wants to go to heaven? He's got nothing to offer Jesus. He's got nothing to offer Jesus. What a dilemma. He can bring nothing to Jesus and say, look at all the great stuff I've done. 
He's hanging on a cross for a life full of disappointment and sin. And he looks to almighty God in the flesh, Jesus, and says, save me. I want to go to heaven. Doesn't that bother you? That doesn't seem right. He didn't do anything to deserve to ask Jesus that question. He's a filthy, rotten sinner. And on his deathbed, he's praying that God bails him out. This is what Jesus says in verse 43. Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Hey, dude, you're going to heaven. Come on in. Doesn't that blow your mind? I don't know if you've ever struggled with that passage. I don't know if you've ever, like, wrestled with that moment. I think we've read over it and read over it and read over it, but I don't know if we've ever really struggled with that moment. That this guy who has lived his life of sin is looking to Jesus, the sinless son of God, and saying, bail me out. I know I'm a sinner. I I know I have nothing to offer you. I can do nothing in this moment to change your mind, but I believe you are Messiah. Would you save me? And Jesus says, yeah. Yeah, I'll save you. Because all I ever wanted was you. All I ever wanted was this moment where you realized you had nothing to offer me. That you have nothing to offer me. That it is only by my grace and my love that you have the opportunity to get to heaven. And that criminal knows that because he's hanging there about ready to die. And says, Jesus, would you save me? And Jesus says, yeah. And again, we resist this a little bit. Like, in theory, we go, that's a really great story. And we really like the idea of it, but we resist it. And we resist it because we've grown up our whole lives. We've grown up our whole lives believing that you earn things, right? And we celebrate that, like my little guy, right? My little guy, Ben, uh, he's nine years old, or eight years old. My wife would kill me if I said nine, okay? Um, eight years old. And he, he decides he wants an iPod shuffle, God bless him, right? Wants an iPod shuffle, wants to listen to his music, okay? And, and so we're like, dude, I'm, I'm not buying it for you. You've got to earn it, right? And so now he's got to take on all these chores. He starts doing all this stuff. He's going around to all the neighbors like that annoying little kid, knocks on your door like, I'll pick up your dog poop, right? And so he runs around uh, to all these neighbors, and he's doing this work. And finally, this week, he gets enough money, and he gets his iPod shuffle, and we celebrate. Way to go, buddy. You know, look what you did. You earned that. You, you worked, and, you, and people gave you money, and it wasn't just given to you. You earned it. Way to go, right? Because we brought up thinking that. We love those rags-to-riches stories, right? We like the pursuit of happiness thing where the, the guy's sleeping in the bathroom as his son, and all of a sudden, two years later, he's making a, a, you know, a million trillion dollars, and we're, yay! We love that story. We love those kind of stories because we're like, you earned it, dude. You worked hard. You put in all the steps. You did it. Congratulations. You earned that. And we're brought up believing that mentality. That is our mentality, especially the American mentality. But what happens 
What happens when you realize that you can't earn salvation? That you can't earn God. You can't do enough to get into heaven. What happens when that becomes a reality for us? When we come to a moment where we struggle with that, that we can't earn God. Because our whole lives, some of us, our whole lives, we've been brought up believing that we bring a portfolio to God. Oh God, as we get to the pearly gates, Lord, check this out, check out my portfolio. That's right, I helped an old lady across the street, hallelujah, right? Yes, I worked at that soup kitchen, Lord, did you see that? Fantastic, right? And we, we start bringing our portfolio of good stuff to God, and that finally when we get to heaven, God's like, you're right, blessed, head in, right? Because our portfolio is completely legit, right? And we're all excited about our portfolio of good stuff, because it kind of weighs out the bad stuff, or so we believe. And can I just tell you, if, if that's true, then this story looks completely different. It looks completely different. The thief is on the cross, hanging. He looks at Jesus and says, hey, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And I want to be in heaven with you. And Jesus was like, are you kidding me? Your portfolio is not good. You're going to hell. Dude, you're hanging out across for a life full of sin? No way, dude. You're not going to heaven. Your portfolio stinks. But God, I did that. Sorry, not good enough. We've been brought up our whole lives believing we earn things. And the problem is you don't earn God. You don't earn salvation. It is only by his grace and his love for us that we get to heaven. And, and this story, among any other story in the Bible, proves that without a shadow of a doubt. That you can't do enough good to get into heaven. And if it's true, then that makes God evil. If this is true, then, this, then that makes God evil. God is that evil man that's looking for a kickback. Like, oh, I gave you eternal salvation. What are you going to give me? Come on, it better be good. A lifetime of living in luxury? What do you got for me, people? Come on, lay it at the feet. What do you got, right? That makes God evil. That makes God like some of your bosses. Right? And that's not God. That's not God. Uh, let's, let's roll over to uh, uh, Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 8. Um, we sometimes put verses up in places. This is one of those great verses to do that. Like some of you put, you know, Philippians 4.13 on, you know, on your mirror in your bathroom. And you're like, I can do all things through Christ, right? I'm going to brush this cavity out. By the power of Jesus, you come out, cavity, right? Because I'm believing, Lord, all right? This is one of those verses that you need to, like, cut out and put somewhere to constantly be reminding you that kind of stuff. So, Verse 8, God saved you by his grace. That word grace is that God gave you something that you couldn't earn, that you couldn't do on your own. That is grace. God did that for you. 
God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. God is not bribed. We can't bring things to God and hope that it tickles his mind, and all of a sudden he's like, yes, you can come in. Oh, wait a second, your goodie bag is bigger than your bad bag so you can get into heaven. No. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't do enough good to get into heaven. It is only by God's grace and mercy that we get to heaven. It's only by God's grace and mercy that we get to heaven. And that's what we see with this criminal hanging on a cross, knowing he has nothing to offer Jesus but to say, I've sinned. I believe you're Messiah, that you can save me, and I want to go to heaven. And Jesus says, that's good enough for me. Can't wait to see you in heaven. That's awesome. That's awesome. But there's another moment in this story. For those of you who are Christians, there's something that happens. We accept Jesus at some point in our lives. We accept Jesus and we live in light of that grace, right? We, we, we change and everything we, we listen to is like brilliant and every speech that we hear, every sermon we hear is like convicting and, and then one day we wake up and we start trying to figure out how to pay God back. We start trying to figure out how we can impress God. And the problem was with that is that you can't pay God back. And you can't make God love you more, but we try so hard. Oh, Lord. Lord, did you see? Did you see that check I dropped in the tithe box? Pretty awesome. You check that out? How about a super blessing for that one? How about you love me a little bit more for that one? Right? Lord, I lifted my hand. It was awkward during worship, but I did it for you for the glory of the Lord. It was weird. I felt weird about it the whole time, but I did it for you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, did you see that gigantic fish? I know I stepped it up, okay? I had the little fish, but I got the big fish, okay? It's on the back of my car right now. Aren't you impressed with me, God? Aren't you just so amazing? Don't you just love me more? God, I'm just earning you, right? And we come to God with our goodie bags and go, God, look how great I am. Look at my goodie bag full of all the goodie things I've done. And the problem is, is we say things like this, God, I'll give you my life. God, I'll give you my money. And God says, you keep bartering with things that are already mine. You keep trying to impress me with stuff that's already mine. God, I'll give you my life. God says, I'll take that life. I gave it to you. God, I'll give you my money. God says, I own it all. You're trying to barter with me with things I already own. You're trying to impress me with stuff that's already mine. It's like Ben and Cooper, my sons, coming to me and saying, Hey, Dad, if you love us more, we'll let you stay in the house. You shut your mouth, you're going to get a spanking. Do you hear me? Right? It's my house. I pay the mortgage. And you're trying to barter with me? See how insulting that is to God? 
We do that all the time. God, I read three verses. I memorized one. That's an extra gold star, right? We do this all the time with God. And God says, I just want you. I just want you. Because as that guy is hanging on the cross, he has just committed his life to Christ. He looks at Jesus, who was taking his last breath, and he realizes, he realizes he can't pay God back. He cannot pay Jesus back. And I hope that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, would come to that moment where you realize you were not worthy of that sacrifice. Because if that guy could jump off the cross, he would be running through the streets of Jerusalem praising the name of God, Messiah, who died on a cross for his sins. That every dollar earned, that every breath that is taken is how can I worship God for the sacrifice and the grace that he has given for me on the cross. Do you get that? Are you tracking with me? How big a deal this is? You now have freedom to just be you. And that you would walk through your entire life saying, God, how can I worship you? How can I give my life to you? How can I honor you? Instead of, oh great, got to go to church again. Okay, Lord, really doing it for you this time. See? We have the opportunity of worshiping God with our lives. And the thing that you and I need to struggle with, and the dilemma really that we have going on is, as believers, is that you are the thief. You can't pay God back. You can't pay Jesus back. But I tell you what, if that criminal would have the opportunity to live out his life, I promise you, it would have been a life of worship. Because you don't meet Jesus, and you can't help but worship him. Really meet him. Some of you need to get reconnected with that. Living for Jesus is about worshiping him for the sacrifice that he's made for us on the cross. And if you're a non-believer here in the room, you're the thief. You're the thief that is sitting there next to Jesus and you have nothing to offer him. You can't be good enough. You can't say impressive things. You can't show him your resume. All you can do is say, please, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Save me. And Jesus' response to that is, okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Messiah who died on the cross for your sins? If you're a Christian in this room, I hope, I hope that every moment of your life you would reflect upon the sacrifice that God made for you and that you would live your life as a reflection of that sacrifice and that grace bestowed upon us that every moment is an opportunity to be a God moment, a worshipful moment to our Heavenly Father. And if you're not a believer here in the room, give up. 
give up. Stop trying so hard. God wants you more than anything. And if this story doesn't prove that, I don't know what else will. But here's a guy that has lived his entire life in sin and debauchery. And the God of the universe says, come on in. Because all I want is you. I don't want all the things you're trying to offer me or impress me with. I just want you. Some of you this afternoon need to make that decision to finally follow Jesus and just chill out and know that that's all he wants from you. He just wants you. He just wants you. So what are you going to do with Jesus? That's the dilemma. That is the dilemma of life. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Lord, we absolutely don't deserve your grace and your mercy. God, our whole lives, we've been trying to impress you with all the stuff we do and we don't do, God. We've been trying to, trying to show you how great we are, Lord, and your word just speaks so clear that we can do nothing to impress you. But that God, the reason why you died on that cross was not because of anything that we have done. The reason why you died on that cross was because of love. Because you love the world so much that you sent your only begotten son. That whosoever believes in you will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That it is through, through faith and grace that we come to know you. God, this morning we celebrate your death on the cross. God, this morning we celebrate how amazing and wonderful that gift is. And God, can I just say on a personal level, thanks. Thank you so much for saving me. And I'm going to do my best, Lord God, to live in light of that mystery and message. Lord, I give you my life. I give you this church. All for the glory of God. In your powerful, powerful name, amen.